Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back. This week I am going to be interviewing Adam Gorightly about his new book, Spooks, Saucers, and Kooks. And with me again is Gary, who's been on here quite a few times now, Gary from Bizarro Aficionado. Um, welcome back, good sir. How are you? Saucers, Spooks, and Kooks, I think. Saucers, Spooks, and Kooks. Yes, it and is. Kooks. It I'm, is. I'm doing well, sir. Thank you for having me on again. Full disclosure, I had my second COVID shot yesterday, and I am now right in the middle of the effects of that. Um, I am really out of it. I'm really loopy. I'm really tired. And I'm having the only symptom that I'm having is the brain fog and the muscle stiffness and soreness. Like my, my left arm just does not want to move. So, mm. um, yeah, if I see me out. out of it in this show, it is because the second Moderna COVID shot is having its way with me right now as we speak. If I could have backed out of this interview, I would, but I know how I am. It would have taken me weeks to reschedule it. And it would have been a nightmare. So, anyways, you are you are actually like I tried to study up for this show. I really, really tried. I have <laughs> notes. I have the book. I've read. I haven't read the entire book. I've read a lot of it. You've read a lot of it. And right now, my brain is just macaroni. So I'm going to do the best I can to make it through this show, which is why I'm glad you're here because you have studied up. Well, I don't know if you studied yeah. up more, but you are far more with it right now than I am. So, yeah, <laughs> Said no one ever before. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, he's an incredible rabbit hole. Adam's fantastic in his writings and and everything. But uh, yeah, the new book's really cool, and and his past books on Thornley and JFK and MLK and et cetera and et cetera, and and just like in this book, just the course of of uh, conspiracy theory alone is a just a fascinating subject. It's weird, and I'm probably going to end up bringing this up with him. He always he refers to himself as a crackpot conspiracy theorist. Now, you like me, you've studied all of this stuff for a long time. We know all of the legends, we know all of the stories, we know all of the Benowitz stuff. Which is funny. I got something I got to bring up about the Benowitz thing in a second. But um, you know, so we've read all of these books, and then you take a look at Adam's books, and for someone who calls himself a crackpot conspiracy theorist. He's not crackpot at all in his writing. No, he's a, he's a solid investigative journalist. He yeah, really I mean, it's, is. It's, it's good stuff. Like, you go into it thinking that you, – you go into these books thinking, here's a guy that's probably just in it for kicks. He's not – you know, he might be a UFO nut or something. And he's really not. He's like he's, when he researches this stuff – No. And he always researches the most obscure, strange things. We had him on the show once. I think it was High Tell, uh, wait a minute, Happy Trails to High Strangeness, I believe, what the book was. Oh, yes, yes, And yes. he brought up this conspiracy theory, which to this day I still laugh at. It was this thing about Tiffany being out there behind the scenes fighting the Illuminati or something like that. And it, like, it was. Like the singer? Yes, the singer Tiffany. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's this crazy story, but, you know. It's up there with Pizza Hut and the Clinton. I, I, well, Pizzagate, yeah. The um, Pizzagate, yeah. Good golly. But he finds these 
these really interesting and weird. Like this is the most normal book that I've read from him, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Like most of his books are just really out there, crazy conspiracy theories. But he doesn't treat. He actually goes through and investigates them and tells you this is what's going on and this is what happened. And his books make a lot of sense. They're not full of a lot of fluff. They're not full of a no, lot of woo woo. They're not a, full of a lot of stupid he backs stuff. Backs up everything pretty solid. Yeah, it's it's they're good reads. You know, like the last yeah. show I had him on with him and Greg Bishop, um, we were talking about you know people in the UFO culture like Sun Ra and all these different people. And he never says UFOs are real because of this. This is real because of that. He just tells you the story of what happened with it. And yeah. I really like that. It's not yeah, like, I do too. you know, this, this, this UFO crash happened and here's why and here's this. And that. He just tells you this is the story behind this. These are the people that are involved. And I don't really see him as a crackpot conspiracy theorist. No. I really enjoy reading his books because they're, they're, they're like legitimately good writing. It's not somebody trying to shove a theory down your throat or something mm-hmm. like that. No. So. I kind of like, I feel, I think the guy's actually like, like, cause the way he presents himself, it's like, no, you're not, you're not a crackpot. You, you, you might investigate crackpot conspiracy theories, but he's not a crackpot himself. He always comes across yeah. to me as being like, like, like esoteric's answer to the dude, you know? Like, <laughs> that's so true. That's, just, that's really a yeah. good descriptor. You know, that's, I'm going to tell him that too eventually at some point. I'm going to, you know, cause that's what he reminds me of. Like, he just reminds me of the big Lebowski of esoteric storytelling. <laughs> yeah. It's such a great description. <laughs> hey man, that crop of that, that, that UFO crop circle really brings the room together. I don't know. So. And I want to talk to him cause I believe, you know, he's, he was in the military and I believe he was also stationed at El Toro the same time as Oswald. Really? I think he served with Oswald and Thornley. You going to so ask him I, that? I, I'm going to ask him because I want to make sure that I'm remembering that correctly. Wow. Okay. That's an <laughs> angle I didn't think about. You yeah. said Because you also just did a show on the Penny Royal, too. And you said that I there's did. a lot of relations between the stuff that Adam investigates and what's going on at yeah, Penny Royal. A lot Everything of it comes ties back, back to, to Penny Royal. Uh, yeah, it does. It comes back to Downard. And I have been stuck in this Penny Royal vortex Penny Royal Hellier Vortex for like a month now. Yeah, so we're the people that are investigating it. That's why when you had that guy on your show, it was a perfect fit for you. That seems to just suck everybody in. And so when oh you said gosh. that, I'm like, okay, so how does Adam go rightly tie into this? Because I've said this before about a lot of people. Now you're the guy with the little thumbtacks and the strings going everywhere. And I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm almost that guy now. <laughs> the week leading up to recording with uh, Nathan Isaac, I, all these weird things. Like in Hellier they find this blue star balloon right before they learn that some of the things that they're learning about and doing are part of a star sapphire ritual. Mm-hmm. Well, right before I recorded, the day before I recorded, I find a red star balloon. And it then at the end of it, Nathan, and I'm not sure if this made it into the actual show, uh, brings up that there were these certain you know parts of the pan ritual that, you know, we're integral and I'm like, oh my God, that's this, that's the Ruby, the Ruby, star Ruby ritual. Mm-hmm. So there it is. They had blue, the blue sapphire and I had star Ruby and found the star balloon. And I'm, I'm walking through Main Street in town and there's a radio and it drives right by and all you clearly hear is Somerset. And it just <laughs> drives by. I'm like, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all it's right. weird. Let's uh, let's jump into this call with Adam and see where it yes. goes and see where we end up because I honestly have no idea where this is going to end up or where it's going to lead. That's the or, best um, one. 
yeah, my my brain is cooked right now, so I'm just going to do the best I can and try to make it through this whole thing. So uh, I guess here we go. Do you still believe it impossible we exist? You didn't actually think you were the only inhabited planet in the universe. How can any race be so stupid? Sounds good. Yeah, maybe some blue lotus mead. Blue lotus mead? Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Tonight I've got with me Adam Go Rightly here to talk about his new book, Spooks, ah, Saucer Spooks and Kooks. I always say it wrong. Um, <laughs> Adam, it's been a little while since we've had you on here. I think the last time you were on here was with your book, um, which at the moment is slipping my brain. Um, it was the one about characters that were within the UFO field and so forth. Um, uh-huh. So your new book here, this is basically... This is all of the stories that we've all, for lack of a better term, grown up with. It's got like the Paul Benowitz, the Dulcie base, all of the characters are involved with it. And me and Gary were talking before we went on the air about how you refer to yourself as a crackpot historian. Is that correct? I have from time to time. (laughs) (laughs) And I said I disagree with that. Yeah, I disagree with that. All of the books that we've read from you, they're very well researched. You're not trying to shove an idea down somebody's throat. You just say, hey, this is the facts that I've discovered. You put them out there. Like, at no point in these books do you say UFOs are real, the gray aliens are here to in- or are here at war with the reptilians and all that stuff. You really don't go into that. You just kind of put it out there as like, yeah, this is what I was able to find and this is what happened. And you, you, Like, this is a history book of of this topic where it's not like nothing's being shoved down your throat. And all your books that way. So I've always gotten the impression whenever I whenever I read your books and stuff, I always think of you as being like the big Lebowski of t- esoteric. You know, I can always just imagine you sitting around in a bathrobe writing these books with a drink <laughs> in your hand, you know, maybe smoking some kind of marijuana uh, product of some sort, you know, just researching and typing away at all this stuff. And your books never disappoint. They're always on point. They always have great information. And they're just a lot of fun to read. Like, I never read – these These are more like a history book for me rather than the average, you know, um, UFO, whatever kind of book you pick up off the shelf that's got some kind of like a, a thing behind it. So, you know, um, what made you decide to delve into this topic again? Because this has been covered a lot by a lot of people. Like Greg Bishop, we had him on here before talking about all this stuff. And this just seems like this is a topic that's been covered extensively. So what made you want to go back and dig into it further? Yeah, it has. And uh, part of the motivation I write about it in the uh, book was meeting this character, Tal Levesque. <laughs> and uh, he was one of the early propagators of what we'll call the Dulce-based mythos in the late 80s and really started back with uh, Benowitz in the early 80s. But uh, so uh, I got to know uh, Tal, and he had a – he passed on a couple of years ago, but a wild history of being involved with uh, first investigations of the hollow earth. He and his wife put out a uh, zine called the Hollow Earth Hassle back in the day, and Tal was one of those guys who seemed to know everybody or claimed he knew every everybody and influence that was a big influence behind the uh, scene. So uh, one of the things, as I mentioned, was this Dulce Bass story. And um, uh, initially, I was just r- r- going to write like a 10,000 uh, 
Word article on my meeting with uh, Tell called uh, My Breakfast with Tell, kind of a takeoff on what was that, Andy Kaufman, uh, My Breakfast with Blassie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I started doing that and I, you know, started including the, the Dulce based stories, what the rumors were. And as this thing evolved over time, it was like, uh, man, I really need. Uh, this got interested in looking at all the different uh, conspiracy theories and rumors about uh, Dulce going through those, trying to separate the fact from fiction. And that kind of uh, morphed into another article I was writing called, uh, what did I call that, Deconstructing Dulce. But then I started seeing how the Dulce story really connected to a lot of uh, stories in ufology during the uh, – late 70s into the 80s and early 90s, they all seem to have a lot of the same players involved and kind of the same playbook with a lot of these stories. They repeated a lot of the different, uh, just kind of retreaded a lot of the same stuff. And all it all kind of uh, connected back really initially with uh, the Benowitz affair and, uh, you know, uh, also, Area 51, and even later, uh, uh, the Serpo Project stories. All these uh, stories seem to be connected as part of a greater whatever people want to think was going on here, some type of disinformation campaign or counterintelligence, or it was just uh, people retreading a lot of the same stories with a lot of the same players seem to be involved over the years. So that that's how it started. Eventually, it, it kept going and evolved into this book. I mean, this was been working on this thing for over like uh, ten years. Oh wow! Yeah, I remember bugging you about it. God, was it two years ago? I, I had caught wind that you were working on it, and I said, "Hey, you want to come on and talk about this?" And you're like, "Yeah, when it's done." <laughs> so <laughs> probably longer ago than that. I was about uh, five years ago. I thought I was close to done. With, with it, you know, so I kind of, I had been uh, working on things on and off working on this over the years, and I thought I was done, and I, things, when you start down a path, sometimes other related stories fall in your lap, and somebody says, hey, you got to interview this person or that person, or hey, check out this document, <laughs> it's never ending, you know, you got to eventually got to cut it off at some place. So how do you research all this stuff with not, without becoming part of it, because, it's like you said, all of these stories all interlock in some way with another one way or another, and this story leads to that story. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, then then next thing you know, you're like, you know, you know, you're you're on that um, the Montauk Island, and you started looking at a UFO crash in Roswell, and then you end up on Montauk, mm-hmm. and you know, and then there's all this. Yeah. When you start getting involved with this stuff, you because it seems like you know with Benowitz, you see all these characters and all these. Once you start getting involved with this stuff, you start getting involved in all of that mesma and these shady characters, and then like, how do you not fall down the rabbit hole? of going crazy like a lot of these people have because once these people get into this stuff you just kind of you're kind of like whoa you need to settle down there dude chill out a little bit man you're getting you know <laughs> like you watch you read this stuff and you see where the x-files comes from yeah oh, oh yeah exactly yeah you see okay well that's that's how the x-files did their show because that's all the same kind of stuff it's like this leads to this this person's corrupt that person died sure here's a little bit of information they've um, stolen from well, not stolen but they've used a lot of these these mythos and and theories just to, as plot 
in, in uh, for everything. In Stranger X-Files. Things, yeah, 100%. you know, Stranger yeah. Things is another great example where they, they they take these stories and they morph them into. You know, it's, it's like being on TV and stuff. And then you're watching, like, no, that's not, that's not the real story, but it's television. So you see how they change it or whatever, you know, or Hangar yeah, 18 yeah. or the, the Philadelphia experiment and all of these different things are all tied together in one way, shape or form. So how do you get into this stuff and not get sucked in? And keep your objectivity. <laughs> well, I have got sucked in at times, and there's there's an afterword called Adventures in Chapel Perilous, you know, where you get to that uh, point where you're poking your head down some rabbit hole or uh, something, and um, you get to, you know, that's part of the, uh, at least it was back in the day, the uh, fun or, or the intellectual curiosity, you know, of looking into different conspiracy theories, you know, and uh, looking into them, investigating them, kind of uh, stepping down in that rabbit hole for a period of time and saying, is this possible? Well, it could be possible, but knowing when you get to that point of no return, when you get uh, sucked into you know a certain belief system about uh, whatever <laughs> one conspiracy theory or another so you know I've come uh, close sometimes I talk about Greg Bishop too he got uh, he had some adventures in Chapel uh, Perilous so you know we were able to uh, both of us get to a point where at one time or another we just that we're able to step back and uh, say, uh, you know, there's more to life than uh, getting your head twisted around uh, some uh, belief system or whatnot. But you know, there's other people that I wrote write about in that piece, like the uh, Carrie Thornleys or the Paul Benowitzes that uh, never make it back out. So I guess Benowitz would be a great place to start. Funny story, because you mentioned Greg as well, and I was talking about this before we had you on. Last week I was doing some research uh, to prep up for the show and just make sure my facts were right and everything. And I Googled um, Paul Benowitz, and sure shit, on the right side of the page, it's got Greg Bishop's picture as though he is Paul Benowitz. <laughs> and if, if you do this, if you go out and Google Paul Benowitz, you'll see Greg's picture. And I put it up on Facebook, and he was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, go Google Paul Benowitz and see what happens, because Greg's done so much research and work on the whole Paul Benowitz thing. And he said, great, I've become the character that I've researched. So it's just kind of funny, like, when you see, like, it shows for the picture of Paul Benowitz, it's got Greg, Greg Bishop sitting there with his, like, his little black sunglasses and stuff like that. It's pretty funny. Well, there's, but, there's um, another funny story that um, there was a guy named Victor Thorne. Does that name ring a bell to anybody? Not me. <laughs> Victor no. Thorne. Yeah, he was big uh, in the conspiracy scene uh Back in the day, and he ended up, uh, he's another guy who uh, went too far into Chapel Perilous and committed suicide oh, about three or four years ago. And um, he had wrote, written a book called The 20 Greatest Conspiracy Theorists of All Time a few years back. And he was a big fan of mine. We collaborated on stuff, so he included me in that list of the 20 greatest conspiracy theories theorists of all time, which That's I did great. Well, wow. <laughs> some of the other people included, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, the, the Bill Coopers and uh, anti-Semitic stuff, but whatever. Oh, it, I was in that, but the funny part was when it uh, tells you this will show you how much Greg Bishop and I have been intertwined over the years uh 
the photo he ended up using for me was Greg Bishop's. <laughs> I don't know why why he did, but uh, anyway. So Greg, yeah, Greg gets around. But is he the one who did the? It was like a three book or four book thing on uh, Hillary and Bill. Yep, that's all right. I knew I knew that name from somewhere. Yeah, he was deep into that, uh, and of course, when he uh, after he committed suicide, it was right uh, during the time the uh, last uh, presidential, well, the presidential election before last, like in twenty sixteen. Of course, everybody started, you know, in conspiracy world. Hillary got him. Hillary took out oh, Victor right. Moore. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that's the other question is how do your fellow conspiracy theorists look at you? Like in this in the conspiracy theorist world, and even in the youth oh actually in, in, in most of paranormal or whatever, nobody wants to talk to one each other because they're all like they've got their sources and they don't want to rat their mm-hmm. sources out, or they want to be the one that breaks the knowledge first, yeah. or everybody holds on to the little pieces of information that they're given. So as far as the other people that are out there that research this stuff, like how do they how do they view you? Do you get along with a lot of these people? Do they do they look at you like you're a crackpot? Is there jealousy, anything like that? Oh, probably some of all of that. You know, I'm not – I try not to – I don't really consider myself a part of that scene anymore so much, you know. So I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean there's with this book uh, – there's definitely a line being drawn. A lot of people, especially the um, oh, the folks new to ufology the last few years that jumped on the you know the whole TTSA A tip bandwagon thing with DeLong and that whole group of people. They definitely don't uh, care for my book or how you know <laughs> my views on the subject of uh, ufology. I'm seen as a skeptic now, you know. <laughs> There's not enough of those. I mean, <laughs> the, the the subjectivity in UFO investigation, and I'll probably get a bunch of letters for this, but it just it's gone out the window. Now yeah. it's just, but but you see that as as like conspiracy theory as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like when I when I was young, you know, conspiracy theory was like reading upon a pale horse, or yeah, you know, something you'd see maybe on in search of or something like that. And now it's I call it the Rupert Murdoch effect. You know, you can make up anything and completely ridiculous, and you're going to have followers and believers in it. If you mm-hmm. put enough stuff behind it, yes. It doesn't yeah. even have to be factual. You can pull it strands yeah. and just put it out anything. there. Um, so what, what do you attribute that to, and where do you think it's going to lead? Well, I mean, with the what's going on currently, you know, when I was talking about in ufology with – they think uh, you know. There's a really some people newer to the uh, quote unquote field who feel like disclosure is nigh at hand. It's coming <laughs> any day now. But every decade, you know, we go through this whole disclosure thing again. If you look at the UFO uh, history or history of conspiracies or whatever, when you see these. Uh, same stories emerge, you know, uh, you can fool me once, but, uh, and so w- what is causing, I think there's, like I talk in the book, there's a bit of manipulation uh, going on. I mean, there's varying agendas. Some people suspect um, 
you know, it's uh, some type of uh, intelligence operation or, you know, with the whole TTSA thing, it was like a lobbying oh, yeah. effort. And you have some of the same players like uh, Robert Bigelow's, and uh, they're controlling the narrative, you know, and it's a lot of, once again, the same players who were in the aviary back in the day or uh, NIDS, uh, Skinwalker Ranch, a lot of the same people, than George Knapps and others promoting these uh, same stories in it. Um, and uh, with social media now, you can uh, – see some a lot of quite a bit of manipulation there as well and so you got a you know young people or younger people new to ufology coming up that uh, latched onto this story and they're kind of being drawn in by some of the players so there's a certain amount of uh, they see uh, kind of like a club belief system uh, gets a bit cultish sometimes, and uh, a bit. you know, <laughs> uh, a and bit. They're, they're they're getting uh, leaked information, or you know, they're giving hint, getting hints about things. They're they feel like they're insiders, you know. Some but that's the way it's always been, though. I mean, yeah. it's the same yeah. tactics that you've seen before. It's modernized, which is easier now to disseminate the information out there with the Internet and social media and so forth. But a lot of the stuff that's happening, it's the same games and stuff that you were seeing back then where people – like there, we were talking about it with Greg where someone would be given a notice and they would in turn retype that notice out. But the notices, the information they would be given, it would have like a spelling mistake or something like that. Mm-hmm. And if right. they tried to put it out there and they put it correctly, they'd be like, no, you must, re-type, you must retype that letter out there the way that I gave it to you, all spelling errors and everything. Yeah. And it's like, well, why would you do that? Well, Greg bought it. Well, so that way you can track who's leaking what information and where that information is going to who yeah. by the spelling mistakes or so forth or something in the letter or whatever. Once you change it, it becomes like the thing where you whisper into somebody's ear and that person and so on. The story evolves and it makes it harder to track where everything goes. But what what's what's happened, you know, with the the. Uh Social media, though, uh, recently with the, the, the whole A-tip, Lou Elizondo, that uh, story, it's gone on and on. They've never really produced any evidence, but every few months, you know, some little tidbit or something gets leaked. And even uh, the faintest whiff that something new is coming. Everybody's in that circle. They're, they're like reading the tea leaves. It's become a QAnon type thing. You right. know, any little piece of information, oh, you know what this could mean with, uh, he mentions whatever, uh, SAP. That's one thing they latched on to what was a special ac- access program now. So everybody in that circles, they're like experts in these, uh, different government programs and uh so anytime they get anything that looks like it's semi-official or the uh government is even saying uh acknowledging uaps you know it's like well it's coming folks right. there's one guy named ufo jesus who <laughs> he, ch- he finally changed his name from UFO Jesus, because about the last three or four years, every year, this is this is the year of disclosure. Yeah, right. the next year, this is the year. 
<laughs> is he so, UFO Moses now? Um, now he's now he's post post disclosure. He's calling himself. So I guess disclosure already happened. Uh-huh. We this the rest of us just need to catch up with it. That that's like when <laughs> you, you have just the people yeah. that predict the end of the world is going to be on this date, and then it doesn't happen. They go, well, it did happen. It happened on a spiritual. So they they, back, they backpedal with a bunch of bullshit. Right and. Uh, yeah, happened that's, in that's, multiple dimensions, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like the Church of the Subgenius. Every year on, on July 5th, they celebrate the coming of the mothership to pick them up and take them off of the planet when the Earth will be destroyed. And every year it doesn't happen, so they, they come up with a clever way of saying it, saying, well, the calendar is off. We don't actually know <laughs> when it's going to happen, but it is on July 5th, which is a joke. You know, they're not it's, – it's all a joke. Yeah. So. You know, Rick just, and Morty saved you. That's what it was. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Show us what you've got. So <laughs> – Let's jump into this a little bit, some of the stuff in the book a little bit. I guess we should start with Paul Benowitz because that's that's mm-hmm. where you more or less yes. got at. Um, Benowitz guy had a, he had his own company. He lived outside of an Air Force base. He thought he saw uh, some UFOs, tried to be a good American citizen and report these to the government and say, hey, I think something is going on. They, in turn, pretty much drove him crazy for the most part. They did drive him insane. So – Give us the because we've covered him before, but it's been a while. So give us the ground tour of Paul Benowitz, and then from there, I kind of want to go into where this leads with Dulcy. So yeah, you got the uh, thumbnail there. He did uh, government uh, contracts and aviation type equipment, and he saw some. Uh, he lived adjacent to Kirtland Air Force Base and uh, started seeing some uh, UFOs there, and uh, or. Things over an area called the Monsanto Weapons uh, Area, which at the time was the largest uh, housing of nuclear uh, weapons components, you know. So that obviously alarmed Benowitz, and um, he also set up this array of uh, listening devices and was picking up all these signals and things, and uh, with the uh, photos and uh, stuff he had filmed and uh, other information, he took it to uh, security there at uh, Kirtland Base, who thanked him very much, and uh, nothing really came of it, you know. And so he started, uh, he became more alarmed and concerned, started firing off uh, letters to different politicians, state senators, even Ronald Reagan uh, got a uh, letter. But nothing was uh, happening somewhere along the uh, way. Uh, Richard Doty, who worked for the security there at Kirtland Base, he worked for AFO. SI, Air Force Office of Special Investigation. He was like a special agent. He started interacting with uh, Benowitz and uh, just and uh, you know there's different views or different spins on this story depending on who you uh, talk to. But I think the main concern seemed to be what was. You know, there was a lot of stealth and uh, secret technologies. They were testing at uh, Kirtland Base, not only the stealth aircraft, but also this laser communication uh, system. And he was picking up signals and stuff from And they were concerned with who was Benowitz talking to. Was he figuring out how to break the code for this messaging system? Was he... Uh, passing it on to spies, right. foreign nationals. At the uh, time, a lot of peop- uh, Russians and Chinese were like infiltrating 
different uh, UFO research organizations, one of which was APRO, uh, which uh, Benowitz was involved with. So that's, that's kind of how the whole story got uh, started. Then it got uh, progressively weirder from there, and he was getting uh, – they, they were trying to confuse what he was uh, seeing. They were uh, leaking him uh, little tidbits of factual information, but mixing that up with uh, this E.T. narrative. And one of the wilder stories associated with this was uh, – and this is something Greg Bishop learned from uh, Bill Moore, who was uh, associating with these guys. Bill Moore was a UFO uh, researcher, and Doty was feeding him information. Some of it was these false documents, and Moore was passing those on uh, to uh, Paul Benowitz. But one of the stories uh, Moore was told was by uh, J. Allen Hynek, of all people, who worked on right. Project Blue Book and you know associated with the Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and he was still uh, Hynek was working still working for the Air Force uh, during this period. This was late seventies, uh, early eighties, and uh, Hynek claimed that he gifted uh, Benowitz a computer with uh, software inside of it that would allow him to talk to the ETs. And uh, supposedly this uh, computer was from the Air Force. And so this was a little bit more than a wild story, though. There's been several witnesses who visited Benowitz in his home, such as uh, Gabe Valdez, who's a good, reliable source, and his son, Greg Valdez, who I've talked to. And they actually saw uh, Benowitz with this uh, computer communicating, or so he thought, with ETs, and it also... Uh, created some uh, very uh, oh you know early type of computer graphic images of these uh, ETs as well or whatever was going on. It seemed you know more of a counterintelligence thing to confuse Benowitz and right. uh, discredit him. So, and one of the things Doty did was kind of divert his attention. He wanted to get him looking elsewhere uh, than Kirtland, so he diverted his attention, attention to the Dulce area where there was some weird shit going on with uh, UFO sightings and cattle mutilations. And, uh, and so uh, this is where we started getting into the X-Files uh, type of uh, stories. In uh, May of 1980, there was a... Uh, lady by the name of Myrna Hansen. She was in her mid-20s. She and her son were in Eagle Nest, uh, uh, New Mexico, and they had a uh, UFO sighting. They saw a UFO, and it uh, shot down a beam and sucked up a cow up into the ship. And then uh, immediately afterwards, she and her son were sucked up in the ship. This is the story she told, and she saw the ETs aboard the craft dissecting the uh, cow, you know, a cattle mutilation by aliens. Pretty oh, crazy yeah, yeah. story. Myrna Hansen, right? Yep, Myrna Hansen. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so anyway, afterwards, uh, she was in a hysterical state, and she contacted the local uh, law enforcement in Cimarron, 
and they didn't know, know what the hell to do. But uh, they knew Gabe Valdez was kind of the go-to guy. He was re- he was another state trooper. He was uh, investigating cattle mutilations that often seemed to be related to weird uh, stuff in the sky. Uh, Valdez knew Benowitz because Benowitz was starting to get interested in Dulce. They'd go for uh, he'd do ride-alongs with uh, Gabe Valdez anyway. Benowitz got involved with this uh, deal. They brought in a uh, regression, uh, somebody to do hypnotic regression, another name, kind of famous in UFO, Laura Leon, Leo Sprinkle. And in, uh, they took uh, Myrna Hansen to uh, Benowitz's uh, house and conducted uh, the uh, regressions there. Benowitz even by this time, this is like May 1980, he had been convinced that the uh, ETs were involved with all these uh, UFO sightings. And uh, they, uh, in fact, he was so concerned about the ETs screwing with their uh, regression of Myrna Hansen that they conducted it inside his uh, Lincoln Town car and he put aluminum foil all around the uh, car to block what? out the... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. To block out the alien beams from reading her minds and, you know, trying to wipe the memory from her mind. So, And so there was a series of these regressions. This is kind of where a lot of the uh, later... You know stuff you saw on X Files. She in uh, later ones she went. Uh, the aliens took her to an underground facility somewhere, um, implanted her with a, a device, did some type of medical procedures. At one point, she broke free of her captors and was running around the facilities and started seeing the little hybrid alien babies and vats and that whole bit. Is that the video that's floating around on the internet of what's supposed to be purportedly inside of Dulcie Base, which is really shitty video footage for the most part? Okay, go ahead. It's actually actually from some movie. I forget which one specifically, but so that kind of – these were the beginnings of the Dulce Base story. Uh, Benowitz began to suspect that uh, where she had been taken to was – uh, Dulce Base, and there's a uh, letter, and uh, I quote in the book, and also uh, if people want to see some of the documentation uh, behind this, I have a blog called uh, Chasing UFOs. It's a WordPress blog, and uh, I have a uh, Saucers, Spooks, and Kooks resource page. I'm actually where, on it right now as we talk. Okay. <laughs> And so there was a early document. I'm telling you, Benowitz was uh, sending uh, letters to different folks. And one of those early letters, he uh, mentioned this uh, base somewhere, and that there had been a uh, some type of confrontation at the base, and and it was uh, had been an uh, alien uh, kind of a you know secret treaty between the aliens and the uh, government. But uh, somehow things went uh, south, and there was uh, some type of confrontations, and the uh, U.S. government humans uh, had to vacate the uh, base. So that's mentioned in that uh, letter, and all of that later uh, expanded into what we know as the uh, Dulce base lore. 
that other people picked up and ran with, such as uh, John Lear and uh, Bill Cooper. And uh, Tal Levesque was one of the uh, key players in promoting that uh, mythos. And I, can, <laughs> I can tell you how all this continued to evolve if you want me to. Go for it. Yes, me. yes. I, yeah. I'm dying to hear this. Because Bill uh, Moore comes into his story at some point, doesn't he? Who does? Bill Moore. Bill yeah. Moore had been in this uh, story uh, all along, basically. And how I kind of um, – so let's jump ahead to uh, – uh, so in 19 uh, – kind of uh, some of the years uh, – I remember it was either 88 or 89. I have it in the uh, book. Bill Moore uh, spoke at the uh, – MUFON uh, convention that year, and it turned into a big kerfluffle. He pissed a lot of people off where he basically came clean, talked about how he had been involved sort of uh, with working with the government and in specific Doty in helping to uh, – monitor what was going on in different UFO groups and exchanging information. The deal with uh, Bill Moore was, and this came from a spooky guy named Falcon, who was a high-level intelligence oh, off- yeah, yeah. officer. He, cl- he uh, The deal th- that he made more was, you keep the tabs on the world of ufology with us, and we'll share top-secret uh, UFO uh, poop with you. And that was the deal, and that eventually, that arrangement kind of spiraled out of control, and, uh, uh, you know, it's one of the victims of that was uh, Benowitz. And so nobody really, you know, that was happening in the early 80s, and people kind of suspected certain things, but it wasn't until the uh, this uh, 88 uh, MUFON uh, convention where uh, Bill Moore spilled the beans, uh, outlined what what went on with Benowitz, and referenced other UFO researchers who, was st- who were still buying into and spreading these rumors that were starting to devolve, evolve into the Dulce Base storia and Area 51. And one of them he pointed to was John Lear, and uh, as well as uh, Linda Howe, who had got kind of sucked up into all oh, this right. stuff. And the story at this time now was that uh, being promoted by uh, the likes of uh, John Lear and others was that there had been this secret treaty with the uh, U.S. government. And this was something that came out, you know, in the uh, MJ-12 papers that Bill Moore was involved with that probably came from Richard Doty. You see all this, all this right. shit, shit is uh, connected, but now – Lear was saying that, yeah, there's this uh, uh, secret treaties, but between the U.S. government, you know, the aliens were going to uh, share their uh, tech with us, allow us to back and engineer crafts and whatever. And in exchange, uh, they would be giving uh, humans to experiment upon. And, the, you know, they were creating all these weird hybrid things and to – and they, Basically, they were a dying ET race, and so to be able to continue, they need to make hybrids, and that they also needed the uh, precious bodily fluid from human children's children to live. You know, a lot of this crazy stuff, and <laughs> and 
I believe that <clears throat> conference you were talking about, the MUFON convention, I believe mm-hmm. there's a video of that where he's on stage and he's doing that, and you can hear the audience just flipping out. You can find snippets of it. You can't find the uh, whole thing. I have a copy of it, but Bill Moore doesn't uh, – as I understand, he doesn't want, want it out there. But I kind of recount it uh, pretty much <laughs> what went on there in the uh, book. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, in uh, so around this time, eighty uh, eight ish, there was uh, and I found out about this from an interview. Bill Moore was mentioning that there was some type of uh, get together in Crestone, Colorado, with uh, some researchers, and that's where they kind of came up with the Dulce base story based on uh, the Paul Benowitz information. Even like the term "alien," the gray came from you know the early days of the Benowitz affair. You can see how this shaped uh, ufology in the years to come. And one of the key players at this Crestone meeting was uh, John Lear. He was trying to get uh, the others involved to kind of come up with a manifesto of that time to talk about uh, kind of a group statement between these ufologists at this meeting to uh, present, you know, this whole rigmarole that how there was an alien invasion and all that whole thing, but they weren't going for it. They wouldn't sign on. So uh, ultimately, uh, Lear started uh, uh, pushing this, and uh, in '89 ish, he came out with like the Lear statement. And this was back in the days of uh, when Usenet started going on, the early days of uh, the, these internet uh, groups, and it, it was one of those things like uh, that really. Uh, took the internet and ufology by storm, you know, and so it became a weird uh, period in uh, ufology. And so also another part of this story was a uh, at that Crestone uh, conference, uh, there was a researcher, he was like the preeminent uh, cattle mutilation researcher, Tom Adams, and he had re- received a letter from a lady who went by the name of Ann West, uh, claiming uh, she had information about this Dulce base, and she was in contact with a uh, couple of, uh, like a security worker who also was with the CIA or something, and some other uh, intelligence person who had firsthand information of the uh, Dulce base. And so Tom Adams didn't know about this letter, and he passed it on to. So we're in '89 now, and John Lear, you know, tells Adams, "I'll try to contact this lady. She lives in Las Vegas, apparently, and that's where I'm from." So he contacted uh, Ann West, and Ann West met with him and passed on the information she had, <laughs> and this had to do with, uh, once again, the Dulce base, and uh, she claimed she had known a, a security worker there by the name of Thomas Castello, huh. who, had, who had been part of what was uh, later called the Dulce War. He was a security worker there. 
he and a group of other uh, workers formed a resistance because they saw the, these uh, alien experimentations by the white Draco reptilians going on there. Oh, and it was a lot of bad juju uh, going on. And so they had a revolt, and they got into a uh, – fight with the aliens there at the base and 66 of the uh, workers were killed Thomas Castello escaped he had something called a flash gun that was able to vaporize uh, aliens and levitate them and do all kinds of stuff this kind of goes back to Benowitz once again because Benowitz claimed he had developed a space gun that could neutralize the ETs so it's all tied in so anyway this uh from this, and she claimed um, Castello, who uh, had uh, spirited away some photographs and uh, security footage and other evidence, and he said uh, he told her that he had given some of this to other researchers too, as a uh, kind of like insurance, you know. And if they didn't, uh, if she didn't hear from him, you know, in intervals of every six months, then go ahead and release the material to the public. She didn't hear from him over a six-month uh, period, and so that began the story of the Dulce Papers, which you can probably find on my uh, Saucer Spooks and Kooks resource page. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at them right now, actually. Yeah, it says link to the Dulce yeah. papers. Now, didn't, like, Tal Levesque come out and say something like she was showing up on Facebook as uh, Cherry Hinkle, I think well, that, it was, that, claiming that's... that her half-alien cat? What? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't – I not sure I know the whole story about the alien cat, but, yeah, it was later, <laughs> later revealed that this lady was uh, Cherry Hinkle. And she had the two people she had mentioned in her letter were, um, you know, the one she gave uh, Tom Adams that Adams gave to Lear. One was a security worker with connections or whatever, and uh, the other was uh, some type of intelligence person. She was basically referring to Cal Levesque and Thomas Castello. Now, Castello never actually existed. I'm sorry. Hope I didn't ruin that for you guys. Yeah, but, no, uh, no. He he would later be re- reinvented by uh, Phil Schneider about five oh, years later. Yeah. But uh, so so as the story evolved, people wanted to know, you know, who was this Ann West who later turned out to be Sherry Hinkle, and um, so more of the story developed, and it it really turned out it was Tal Levesque seeding these stories to. Ah. A number of different researchers at that time. Branton was one, Val Valerian. These were all names. Bill Hamilton. They were all all started putting out uh, related Dulce-based stories with a little twist here and there. But Tal was the first one to put out a story called uh, the Dulce Base under the name of uh, Jason Bishop, and he fed these to other researchers. And part of the story was that. Um, Ann West, a.k.a. Sherry Hinkle, this gets confusing and convoluted as hell, she had gone to uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico in 1979, where she met with Thomas Castello and uh, Tal Levesque, who was Tal was living there at the uh, time. She met with them separately, but uh, apparently 
Levesque and Castello lived close near each other. They worked for the same security firm, supposedly, but uh, Castello worked in Dulce Base. There was an underground uh, shuttle system that took all the workers from Santa Fe to uh, Dulce Base each day. And uh, Hinkle claimed that after meeting with them there, uh, she uh, – she learned about Dulce. She visited uh, the Dulce base area, saw um, like uh, the famous vents that were supposedly there at uh, Dulce base. And she also visited like uh, she was on like a UFO road trip. Uh, now, the vents, not to cut you off, but the vents, you mean the vents that were on the mountainside? Because I've seen pictures of those before. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I was at a meetup down in Texas with a bunch of people, and I think McGreg, actually, maybe it was Greg, he put a, a slideshow up, and he had actually gone out there and taken pictures of the mountainside, and you could see what was left of, like, little cement structures or something like that. Yeah. So she claims she actually went out and saw them. I doubt that, though. You know, okay. she was just picking up stuff here and there, then claimed uh, she was ran off the road and um, went into a coma for the next decade. Oh, then she the story doesn't you know but there anyway what uh, i came away from all of this it was talavesque feeding a lot of this stuff and that the character of uh, thomas castello was basically a composite character based on tal himself and paul benowitz tal for many years worked as a security guard uh uh and uh Different places, Santa Fe for one, and uh, Albuquerque claimed he knew uh, Benowitz, you know, during this uh, period, and he also claimed knowledge of uh, underground bases as well, not necessarily uh, Dulce itself, but he kind of put two and two uh, together that you know these government installations were. Uh, all over the place, and they were connected to ancient tunnels and the, you know the some entities that weren't from outer space that have been in the inner earth all these years and like I said, Tal back in the seventies was deep into inner earth research, and they put out uh, a zine with his wife Mary Martin called the the hollow Earth hassle so with you know the coming of um, uh, in later years, he kind of worked in the alien angle <laughs> into uh, all of this, and that all fed into this kind of, you know, the whole Dulce-based story that he helped uh, construct and perpetuate with these other players, the John Lears and these oh, other Lear. other re- other researchers. He was uh, feeding uh, information to, and uh, you know, over time, this uh, he saw these elements in the X-Files, and uh, other people picked up that, you know, F- Phil Schneider in the mid-90s, he became a kind of star on the UFO uh, Patriot uh, lecture uh, circuit, claimed uh, basically the same story of Tom Cas- Castello, that he had been involved in a war with uh, aliens at uh, Dulce Base, and that he later uh, worked at Area 51. I have some very interesting Phil Schneider uh Material on that uh, saucers, spooks, and kooks resource page too. I was just going to ask what your opinion of John Lear was. He, he's a really strange character, and I think he came in through Ann West, 
if I remember correctly. All of these characters are strange characters. What do you mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that is true. But, I mean, do, do you think he had any credibility at all or if he was pure disinformation agent and psyops? Well, it's not uh, clear for sure if he's uh, disinformation, uh, part of a counterintelligence uh, caper, or that he's just spreading uh Disinformation wanted to get UFO famous, but he definitely has a background uh, with uh, you know the intelligence uh, agencies. He was a contract pilot for Air America back in uh, the uh, day, and uh, and and he was uh, involved in the uh, when uh, Area Fifty One became a thing. Even before it became a thing, like in the mid eighties, he was like. Uh, leaking information about uh, stealth testing going on at the base. That's how mm. George George Knapp became right. aware of John Lear. And in '89, he uh, Knapp had a uh, like a uh, weekly uh, television uh, show where he'd interview people, and he brought John Lear on one night, and Lear started telling all these stories, and it kind of became a big deal. And Lear was really the one who uh, introduced Art Bell to a lot of the uh, UFO stuff. Art Bell mm-hmm. later said that's how he became interested in the uh, subject. And really his first guest was uh, John Lear. John Lear was uh, really the primary person who brought Bob Lazar oh, right. into uh, ufology and uh, – once again, all of this looks like, you know, if you look at what was going on at Area 51 with uh, secret testing and how people were trying to uh, do – it looked like well, it was similar to what was going on with Kirtland Base with, you know, with uh, Benowitz. They were feeding this the E.T. narrative and the story to confuse uh, what actually was going on. With a lot of the secret testing at Kirtland, Area 51, Dulce, cattle mutilations work into all of this, you know. Was that some secret government testing going on mm. uh, with the cattle and they were using uh, UFOs to muddy the uh, picture that aliens were somehow involved? So tell me about Nightmare Hall, level six of Dulce Base. <laughs> Well, that's where all the bad juju goes in, on. <laughs> that's where they were doing all the hybrid ex- experiments, uh, creating, uh, you know, it's kind of like the uh, Shaver mysteries, uh, Richard Shaver and the Deros, and these myths of how the experimentation of crossbreeding uh Different humans and animals just got totally out of uh, control. It's kind of the story you hear uh, the mythos with Atlantis, too, what happened uh, there. So Nightmare Hall was basically uh, where all the uh, really nasty and gnarly shit uh, went on that made uh, Tom Castillo and his uh, fellow workers revolt. So. The story behind the shootout is one that, like, I can never find a whole lot of details about. So they were down there, and something happened, and then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose, and they're just fighting their way to get out of the base. <laughs> There's variations on this story, you know. It's just... Yeah, that's my point. It's like, what is the actual... Because right, it's like, 
when you, when you read the stuff, like you even see it in like the show Stargate. You know, the Stargate they had a base inside the mountains. They had a gray mm-hmm. alien. And all, like all of these stories, um, you see it reflected in video games. Like this story, all of these stories have bled out into the uh, Americana. Uh, like you know the the whole yeah. the sci-fi you know you see these in video games and and all this stuff X Files again we go back to that all of these shows you know um, like this this legend just bleeds into everything you know so and and you can trace it back too I mean uh, Lazard as well it's kind of the same playbook he uh, claimed that he had seen a briefing paper about a, a confrontation that happened at. Um, uh, Area 51, and uh, it even goes back to... Uh, yeah, that's the other one. Aliens are at Area 51. That's, yeah. you know, where <laughs> alien technology is at Area 51. Mm-hmm. Um, which, at this point, it's kind of like, for, for supposed to be the most secret base in the world, everybody knows about it. Apparently, there's another one north of it called Area 52, which is even more secretive. <laughs> and there's ones yeah. in Australia. Because, you know, Australia lets America come there and test their stuff out as long as we don't, like, go blowing up their countryside and dropping any nukes or anything like that. Because They don't know we're there. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, apparently, well, Australia does. They do, they do allow us to go there and test, mm-hmm. supposedly. Um, and there's a listener of the show that has actually worked at one of these bases. It's not some oh, super wow. secret UFO <laughs> kind of thing. It's just Australia has miles and miles and miles and miles of vacant land in the middle of their country where you can go for days and not see another soul. So they do a That's lot of great. our testing there now because it's just more secure. Area 51, everybody knows about it. You know, like when I was out there a few years ago, I stopped by the Alien Research Center, and I wanted to get them on the show just to talk to them about the people that come through mm-hmm. there. Like, yeah, I'm going to go out to Area 51. I'm the one that gets gets the video footage and all that kind of stuff. Like, everybody knows about Area 51, and they keep expanding the borders of that base to a point where, because you used to be able to go up into the mountains and photograph stuff on the base from a distance, and now yeah. you can't do that anymore. But, like, if I were the government, Area 51 would be the last place I would want to be doing research and, and testing because everybody knows about it at this point. I would want to go to some place like Australia that nobody can get to. Like, in, like you can drive to Area 51 from Vegas in a couple of hours. You can be there, you know, to the little black mailbox or what have you. You can get there. It's not, not, where, it's not like, you know, it's inaccessible to people. You can't really get on the base because there's people patrolling it and shit. But, yeah. Whereas Australia, you just don't exactly hop in your car and drive to the government installation in the middle of the country. It takes a little bit to get there. You know, it's out in the middle of nowhere. So, but um, that these are the stories that you hear over and over again. Now, going back to Dalsey Base, I, I guess I'll just ask the question now. Is there actually something there? Or is there any kernel of any kind of truth to this? Not necessarily aliens, but was there a base of some kind there of some sort or anything that just this story grew out of? Uh, quite possibly, yes, there was, and uh, this—that's the view of uh, Greg Valdez, who was uh, Gabe Valdez's son. Um, so, let's—I'll uh, pres- present it this way: <laughs> going back to uh, Benowitz, uh, he got really interested in that uh, site, and. Uh, Supposedly, allegedly, I mean, he, some of these stories about uh, Richard Doty, I mean, he makes up a lot of uh, – it's hard to tell, separate uh, the fact from fiction sometimes what really went on. But the, the story is that it was Doty who t- first took uh, Benowitz to uh, Dulce and 
he arranged a helicopter flight, you know, and uh, flew him over and pointed out some areas where the government <laughs> suspected an alien uh, base to be. Once again, this is an uh, somebody who works for the Air Force taking a public citizen on a helicopter flight. That's pretty sketchy. But uh, so later, uh, Benowitz came back. He was a private pilot. And he started doing his own uh, recons over the area. And he found what uh, looked like uh, the crash of uh, some he, – he thought it was some alien – an atomic-powered ship is what he thought it was that crashed. Oh. And uh, and so he started – this is where he – the writing uh, government uh, – the writing letters to different uh, politicians in the government, he was uh, – Alerting, uh, wanted to know what the hell was uh, going on. If this was a, an atomic powered ship, then it uh, crashed and was releasing radiation and uh, whatnot. So he got Gabe Valdez involved. He shared this information with uh, Valdez, and Valdez actually got uh, support from a U.S. Senator, Pete Domenici. Uh, Greg Valdez. Greg was just a kid at that this time, but he'd go along on these. Uh, expeditions with his uh, father, uh, Gabe, and they actually, uh, the government paid for some Geiger counters so they could go out there and see what the hell was uh, going on. Um, without getting into too much detail, uh, what the, one of the things they did was they were taking uh, just random photographs of the area and uh, when they were out there, an area called Archelina Mesa, and they later went back and developed the photos, and they started seeing uh, strange, you know, strange uh, craft in it. Uh, what it uh, appeared to be was actual stealth technology that the human eye couldn't see, but that could be captured with uh, photography. Earlier, Benowitz had kind of figured out the same thing. There's a story that uh, Benowitz was at his uh, condo one day on the uh, that bordered uh, Kirtland Base, and Bill Moore was over there, and he told Moore, instructed Moore to set his camera to a thousandth of a second setting, just take random photos. When those were later developed, they found uh, – UFOs appeared in the uh, picture or st uh, some type of craft, you know. Mm -hmm. And so th that was one of the things. This kind of activity was going on both at uh, Dulce and uh, Kirtland. Uh, during their expedition of uh, that Archelada Mesa area there, they came across uh, Gabe Valdez and uh, uh, Greg Valdez and some others uh, – Edmund Gomez, another rancher uh, who was having a lot of uh, cattle mutilations going on. They were all interested what the hell was going on with these uh, strange craft or whatever. Anyway, they they witnessed one of these uh, vents in the ground or that uh, – like, you know, there was – is kind of like natural events, but they were definitely uh, suspected something was going on there. They found a lot of uh, other uh, evidence that seemed to be related to the uh, 
cattle mutilations going on. There was a lot of military activity, you know, black helicopters and uh, military exercises uh, going on. And what uh, the Valdezes eventually, uh, their their best guess, this is, it had to do with the uh, cattle mutilations. There was some secret testing uh, program going on, and they were using the, this Dulce area, Archuleta Mesa, as kind of a remote lab that had some type of underground uh, facility. And there's a lot more information I lay out in the uh, book. And they think it was uh, connected to Los Alamos uh, labs, which there was kind of – there was a flight line that all these uh, helicopters and stuff were taking from Archuleta Mesa that led right to Los Alamos. Where, uh, and so with the uh, testing, getting back to that of um, – Cattle, uh, God, this gets convoluted as hell. But six, <laughs> yeah, all of these six, stories do. <laughs> now 16, you're going to get into, yeah, into uh, gas project, buggy. Yeah, which is Project Plowshare. And uh, so they were testing, basically doing underground uh, atomic explosions back in '67 uh, to see if they could uh, tap into natural. Re- uh, gas, you know, kind of an early form of fracking, but it didn't work. It just blew up and put uh, natural gas into the atmosphere, and so they stopped doing that, but there's a lot of uh, radiation. Uh, and uh, since then, you know, there's been effects on wildlife and some, uh, you know, it's uh, near and on uh, the reservation there, so what one of the theory is they were testing going on was actually testing these cattle's cattle for radiation uh exposure and to uh kind of uh muddy the waters or conceal what they were doing they were injecting all of the these different uh stories about ETs or also rumors that it was satanists doing a lot of the cattle mutilations but you know there was also a lot of Evidence that there was strange craft and/or helicopters uh, that were seen at the site of a lot of these uh, cattle mutilations, and that w- was going on at one time or another. Uh, Greg Valdez, for instance, says you know when they were using it as some type of remote lab or a uh, base uh, that ended uh, probably sometime in the. Uh, 1980s and it's not used for uh, anything anymore. It's not that hard to believe that a base would be there because there are there are there was that one that was uh, built in secret by a hotel. I can't remember where the hell it was at, but the whole thing was abandoned because its location was actually revealed. And oh, it was West Virginia. Yeah, it was yeah. built specifically for if, if a nuclear war was coming, that these people would have a place to go, high up officials in the government and so forth. And Mount Weather, yeah, yeah, that's Mount exactly. Mount Weather, yes, that's yeah. it. So this well, base see, was built completely in secret. Nobody knew about it, and then somehow it got out there, so they abandoned the base. And this yeah. base has everything in it. You know, It was set to be a nuclear bunker if shit went down. And nobody knew this base was built. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's possible that these things could happen very easily. And that was back then. Our technology's evolved since then. This is where Tal Levesque, once again, he was the promoter of a lot of this stuff, and you'll see his famous... Uh, Map, uh, tunnel map that connects all the, uh, 
alleged underground bases. I have that somewhere on that uh, mm-hmm. page. And um, so Tal claimed knowledge of this. He worked as a security worker for many years, and he was the first one. Uh, he had a lot of this information and blueprints that came from uh, the Rand uh, Corporation that did, did a lot of secret government uh, stuff. And uh, he uh, with and these blueprints were for these tunnel boring machines, and uh, he claimed that. Uh, Basically, the government had started, you know, when they had Mount Weather and those facilities to start connecting with all these the secret technology that nobody uh, knows about. And uh, and Sotel was really the one who – it's unclear where he got a lot of this stuff. He might have worked for Rand at one time or another. One story he told to another researcher is that he found him in a dump, dumpster at a Rand uh, facility, but – he started leaking this stuff, and Tal was always the man behind the scenes. He didn't, in fact, you know, for a lot of the Dulce articles, he used Jason Bishop <clears throat> as uh, the author. But he he started leaking, uh, putting this material out there, and it was kind of uh, got picked up in the 90s by, uh, oh, God, I forget the guy's name who wrote a the book about uh, secret underground bases, and of course that became a lot of the legends with deep underground military bases. They call them now dumbs. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. And and so you know, Tal was a big player in getting that those <laughs> stories pushed out into uh, pop culture, conspiracy culture, UFO lore. So let's bring it around back to Richard Doty. Um, I have been asked many times by a lot of people, why don't you get Richard Doty on the show? Why don't you ask him questions and kind of put him on the spot? And I'm like, why would I want to have a guy on the show that purposely drove somebody insane? And he's kind of smug about it when you see his interviews and stuff. And I know the guy's still out there. I don't think he's going to care if mm-hmm. he hears this, what I have to say. But I've really got no interest in talking to this guy. So his job, more or less, and he always goes, oh, I said, he goes, I might have done this and I might not have done this. And he's got this, like, smug look and shit. It's for national security, man. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, you know, where he he was the one that was primarily feeding Benowitz misinformation. And he was, like, the main string puller behind the scenes, apparently, correct? Well, it's hard to know exactly once you really dig deep into this stuff who who all was involved. <laughs> Doty, you know, one of the stories are that he was yeah, he was doing a lot of this. He became a rogue agent, you know. He pushed it a bit too far, but then there was other f- folks in uh involved that were higher in rank than uh he was and um so you know he might have uh, fallen on the sword and t- took the rap for uh, other people as well. So uh, you can't necessarily uh, pin it all on him. And of course, once again, he'd tell you uh, a different story that he never intended to uh, uh, drive Benowitz crazy. It was just uh, unfortunate uh, collateral damage collateral that happened damage, along exactly. the way. That was for a greater purpose for our national uh, security. Mm-hmm. But he seems to be riding this gravy train pretty well. Oh like well, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, he's like, yes, people believe this about me, but I'm not going to actually fess up to a lot of this. But maybe I did do it. Maybe I didn't do it. 
You know, and it's just like anybody. Anytime anybody gets involved with it, he has to say it's. It's kind of like oh no, this, it's not worth it. No. Yeah, it's it's in this day and age. It's kind of like why is anybody still listening to this guy anymore? <laughs> exactly. But you see a lot of the same things that went on with him going on with you know the Blink One Eighty Two guy, <laughs> for lack of a better term. <laughs> oh right. You know, you see a. a go ahead. Yeah. Oh. I d- yeah, in some ways, for sure. I mean, uh, he looks uh, 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 bl- uh, Tom DeLong yeah, basically Tom DeLong. Seem, seems like a uh, useful idiot in that uh, scheme. Yeah, it's it's strange. It's like you'd think, like especially with somebody like you who's seen all this stuff before, who's researched this stuff before. When you look back, do you see parallels in all this stuff? Like oh, there is yeah for sure, and there's some of the same players involved in this that go back to like the Aviary, who was that super secret uh, group that uh, you know there's different agendas going on there, but uh, you know they were uh, this was a group of um, intelligence. Uh, People and scientists and whatever, and other like Bill Moore was involved, and Doty was involved in this uh, group. John Alexander, another name, Hal Pudoff, that were uh, uh, depending on your view, were they pushing disinformation? Were they trying to push uh, disclosure uh, forward uh, and humanity uh, forward to disclosure? Were they, you know, some of them just curious about the? Phenomena, but a lot of these uh, same players, you know, uh, Pudoff, for instance, uh, was later involved with uh, Robert Bigelow and Nids and the Skinwalker Ranch was going on, and as well as, uh, you know, Pudoff also involved with TTSA. And uh, it, it looks like, you know, there's some connection there with uh, Robert Bigelow that might have been the. Uh, unseen hand behind uh, funding that operation that w- once again uh, nothing ever came it, of it it was always no. like it's, it, that's, the, that's the carrot on the stick is disclosure mm-hmm. disclosure is always yeah. the carrot on the stick it's always right around the corner it's always about to happen and I've been hearing this shit for <laughs> god I mean I, I've been into this stuff since I was like you know 18 20 years old and it's always been like disclosures right around the corner and that's what these movies are for these things are here to condition us yeah and that's when the Close movie v came out because it's reptilians and they're trying to tell us that the reptilians are out there without directly telling us and at this point it's kind of like just shit or get off the pot you know it's not right. the, this stuff is never it's never going to happen and then you see this cycle begin to repeat again and it's like a to what end? Why is this still going on? And B, why are still people buying, still buying into this stuff? It's like we've seen this movie over and over and over again so many well, times. You have new people coming into the, uh, you know, into the field, become interested in the UFOs. That you know, a new generation that don't uh, weren't exposed to these. Uh, Stories, you know, why do you still have people that are inter- interested in the uh, latest uh, ghost hunter show that, you know, the same that's been done a million times? You would times think here. that it would at least try to go into a new direction because all we're seeing now, mm-hmm. which the, link, the, the difference that we're seeing now that we weren't seeing before is the government is releasing these little snippets of videos that you're getting inside of, of jet fighters, you know, of, of grainy images flying being tracked by gun cameras. And, well, you know, it's he, like. He, even that, I think there's uh, – it's not 
<laughs> it's people playing the government as well and leaking these uh, stories. Government's always been dealing with these incursions, uh, you know, of uh, UAPs, UFOs, uh, whatever. This it's been going on forever. Part of what was going on with uh, TTSA, there's, uh, uh, you know, former Christopher Mellon. If you're familiar with uh, his name. Not off the top of my head. No, I've I've fallen way behind in all of this stuff because I decided it just never well, goes anywhere, and it's kind of like, yeah, I'm not going back to any, that again. You haven't missed anything, but uh, Melvin exactly was, <laughs> that says it all right there. Well, you can well, step well, out of it I'm, for ten years and it still hasn't changed any. I'm giving you another view on this, though. Why Melvin is? Uh, he spent many years in the. Uh, Government. He was like an advisor for the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, and later he worked uh, as a civilian in the uh, Pentagon, advisor for Harry Reid. That's how mm. Harry Reid seems to be associated with it. And since uh, and so when they launched TTSA, you know, they he was one of the guys I was uh, who went out speak. Spoke, you know, when they had their uh, press conference about how, you know, this is emerging uh, with uh, UAPs disclosure and the whole what they were doing with TTSA possibly starting a, uh, you know, they had some uh, grandiose ideas or things they were pushing, get investors to uh, invest in space technology and go to the stars, et cetera, et cetera. Now. This Mellon guy, he'd basically been a lobbyist uh, since uh, 2004, and so I th- one of the things I think was going on with this is basically a uh, lobbying effort, and I think Big- Bigelow <laughs> is involved with this and somehow, and so they were helping orchestrate a lot of these uh, news stories. I mean, it got covered in the New York Times uh, more recently. Uh, you know, you've seen Mel and other these uh, characters associated with us. They seem to show up on uh, now. They're on Tucker Carlson, still promoting this stuff. And Melvin was on Joe Rogan of all people the other day. So there's multiple agendas here, and part of this is just keeping this theme in mind about UFOs that may be associated with ETs. I'm not saying aliens, but you know, maybe they're aliens, so that keeps it in the uh, public conscience if you can tie it to uh, possible ETs visiting the Earth. But, you know, part of a larger uh, lobbying uh, campaign for this, uh, you know, space, aerospace industry to develop, continuing to develop uh, technologies, you know, a lot of now the push seems to be uh, better detection systems and that type of stuff to figure out uh, what is going on with a lot of these uh, UAPs they're seeing. And once again, you always see them over uh, things associated with military aircraft carriers, uh, these type of things. I think in a lot of instances, military intelligence knows <laughs> what these things actually are, but they're classified. So that's why, you know, we that's don't really know about, what's going on. 
people who see stuff around Area 51, they're like, yeah, I saw a UFO or and I was in this area. I'm like, well, yeah, you're in a military testing zone for <laughs> testing military aircrafts and you're going to see something strange. You know, um, what was the one, Aurora, I believe it was, Project Aurora, where it would disappear from one spot and reappear in another oh, spot right. before yeah, it was done. Yeah. You know, things like that. Um, now, so, the, so the ETs get tied to this because it uh, captures the public's imagination. It's a useful tool to market it, but also uh, muddy what's actually going on. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just a lot of different <sighs> – Seems like a very, you know, multiple agendas are tied to this stuff. And part of it, yeah, the counterintelligence thing. The other part is a grifting, sure. lobbying. Uh, well, it's a great way to hide secret projects too. You know, oh, which yeah. is exactly yeah. what happened with Benowitz. You know, you had a situation going on where they're probably testing secret military stuff. No, I'm not oh, saying that. All, yeah, exactly. I'm not saying that all military, all all UFOs are actually military craft. I know there's people out there that will go in that direction. I I'm not going to go that far. But well, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a great way though to to hide you know testing of something or another. Um, that it's as easy. Oh yeah, it was a UFO, and then to put all this disinformation out there because you get to a point where people are like, well, they don't know what to believe, and then you get the people that get drawn into it. You know, I would I would like to meet the guy who's responsible for putting all these strings out there, and like it's kind of like wa- watching wrestling with the storylines. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I want to yeah. meet. I want to meet the right like, – it's like, hey, I'm never going to reveal anything. I'll sign whatever documents. You can kill me or whatever. I would like to talk to that guy and be like, how the hell do you keep your shit together to keep all of these stories and these strings out there? How do you – I mean, you know, how, how – what kind of a writer are you to be able to do this? Like, do you just sit down and, like, smoke a giant fucking joint and be like, okay, I got this idea. So, <laughs> well, well that's that's sugar base. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know. That's why, that's why I brought up this melon guy because – You've uh, continued to have these stories leaked about the uh, Intelligence Senate, Intelligence uh, Committee, what they were looking at in kind of classified settings, and it got leaked to uh, different uh, Politico and uh, different, different outlets, and the person in the position to do that it's always unnamed sources, but it mm-hmm. right. definitely seemed like it would be uh, Mellon, who you know knows all these people. He's he's an advisor for Harry Reid. Harry Reid seems to be uh, they trot him out to. Right. Um, so that, that's kind of one of the things that I think was going on with this, and uh, you know, DeLong got pulled in at the beginning just to kind of be a mouthpiece and. Uh, reach the uh, audience, you know, Gen X or whatever it is with um, – and that was that was part of the goal w- with uh, TTSA. They were two-pronged. One was going to be the entertainment thing to uh, get the youth uh, of the world excited about space exploration, like that's a new thing or whatever, but that's how they were promoting it. And the other part of it, and there will be a uh, scientific advisory uh, would be another uh, part of our mission. you got to wonder, like the guy who's the story writer, his assistant (laughs) comes in and says, yeah, um, okay, this guy Tom DeLong, he's in this band called Blink-182. He's part of this now. And the guy sitting there, you know, like, Going, oh, how the hell? All right, 
well, what the hell can we do with this? Here we have a prominent pop star, you know, a, yeah. pub, a prominent public figure. What can we do to use this guy? How do we, how do we oh, go yeah. about? That's kind of why I want to meet this guy and be like, so how how do you how, how do you control all this? Like when something falls into your lap, what do you? Is there like a storyboard on the wall or something? You know, <laughs> is this like a plot for a movie where they sit down and plot it all out and stuff like that? Or I assume like, Mellon is his handler. I mean, he's there. He's an you know an advisor and a shareholder in DeLong's. Academy, Star Academy, or whatever Probably, it's called. Yeah, yeah, to the yeah well, here's, uh, here's how it played out, or how DeLong tells the story. And if you go, I think you can still find their uh, original uh, press conference where they launched the thing, but uh, at the beginning of it, DeLong uh, gives his personal score, and he's like, uh, they're filming him like he's like, uh, kind of a half spy, half rock star, you know, that got su- uh, entered into this world. But you know, prior to all this uh, happening, he he'd express interest. He was a UFO fan, <laughs> probably you know watched X Files. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did songs about it and stuff too. So yeah, so they they knew about him, and the way he told the story story he was at different uh, parties or gatherings where people he was approached by uh, people who were in the aerospace industry but were also connected with the uh, government and they started sharing information with him about uh, what was going on and how this really need uh, to be brought out and uh, revealed to the public about uh, what's going on with these advanced technologies, you know. And so uh, that's kind of how he got – appears how he got uh, sucked into it, you know. And so uh, eventually they got together, okay, this is what we can uh, do. And, they, you know, there was some monetary – Benefit as well, and they you know, brought in these different uh, players, like Lou Elizondo is the guy who claimed he ran the program, but nobody's really been able to verify it. But he has these semi-spook guys who worked in the uh, government or out of the uh, government now, uh, kind of grease the skids to bring him him into it as the. Uh, Initially, the front man of the operation, but then uh, things kind of went sideways for a little bit when uh, shortly after they did their launch, and uh, then uh, DeLong did a few interviews where he came off really flaky, like on Joe Rogan, and at uh, that point, they kind of shifted gear, and that's when Lou Elizondo became, <laughs> I think they sidelined uh DeLong, because he was kind of too much of a loose cannon, and Elizondo became the face of the operation, if you want to call it that. Yeah, because he kind of just, DeLong just kind of faded off, and now he's talking about making music again and stuff like that, last I heard. But you really don't hear anything more about him that much anymore in regards to all that stuff that I know of. I don't like his music either. <laughs> I don't want him to do that either. I've never, I've never honestly ever remember if I ever heard it. I don't remember. Uh, you've missed nothing, <laughs> Gary. Did you have some questions here? Because we're running I, up on I the did. end of this. I, so. I wanted to. I, did, I haven't gotten to read your book on Manson, and I have it sitting right here. It's on my list. But I was wondering, when you were researching Manson, did you find a connection to the Process Church? Oh, I talk about some of that in the oh, uh, good. book. Uh, well, yeah, there's there's rumors, and 
uh, legends that they were associated it, uh, and I, you know, lay all those out in the books. A lot of that information came from uh, Ed S- Sanders in his book, The oh, Family, yes. back in the day, and he made right. a lot of those uh, connections. A lot of it's uh, pretty uh, tenuous, but there there was some overlap with uh, Manson and the uh, Process Church. I mean, I think it kind of got blown out of proportion and later. People really uh, linked uh, them like Maury Terry in his book, The Ultimate Evil. The uh, process was responsible for, you know, the uh, Son of Sam murders and the Manson murders, et cetera, et cetera. And And I I just didn't act alone. mm -hmm. It was all part of this uh, satanic cult. Right. That is fantastic. Oh, and I, I, you have to tell Roe the story of Doc Ellis pitching the no-hitter on LSD. <laughs> Roe doesn't know about that? I don't know. Do you know about that, Roe? You know, I used to, but I don't anymore, to be honest with you. I know Daryl Strawberry did that as well. Oh, did understand. he really? Yeah, Daryl Strawberry had like an amazing game high on, uh, high on acid or something, too. Really? Yeah. The Mets then need more acid right now. <laughs> <laughs> They're not doing well. Yeah, Doc Ellis, uh, the deal was he was, uh, let's see, who was he? He was with the Pirates, Pittsburgh Pirates. And uh, they had a, it was like uh, a game in uh, San Diego, I recall. And he he wasn't pitching in that game, and he wasn't even there, you know. It was like, uh, and, uh, but he was supposed to be. And he uh, took acid. It was like the game the next day that he didn't know uh, that he was going to be uh, pitching. So he got dosed up on acid and all of a sudden, hey, you got to get out here to this game and shows up blazing on acid. At least that's what Doc Ellis uh, said. And uh, and it was just, you know, it looked like the uh, – imagine trying to pitch on acid. He was basically <laughs> trying to – Keep keep it together, right? Oh my and gosh! He walked uh, several of the uh, hitters, and uh, but, but was able to, uh, you know, nobody could hit his stuff because he got into some weird zone where uh, <laughs> <laughs> the ball was talking to him. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, like a lot of times he couldn't even he was walking uh, several of the uh, batters, but uh, just in type of zone, you know, and it's like in uh, baseball, especially nowadays with all these analytics and stuff, they really got it dialed down to what a pitcher normally does, what he'll throw in this situation, you know, what the movement is on the mm-hmm. baseball and all that. If you're yeah. like dosed on acid, <laughs> it would just totally throw yourself <laughs> Out of whack, you know. In most cases, the pitcher or athlete probably couldn't uh, perform, but you know, he got into a uh, God to be and out there in the middle of the field and look at all those people in the audience and the stands and the crowd and stuff like that. That must have been such a wild, crazy experience. And then on top of that, to be like have to be present of mind and in the game to know when to throw the ball and all that stuff. It's like how do you how do you go about doing that? You know. If I eat a 20 milligram gummy of uh, marijuana gummy, I'm like, uh, you know, I can't, I just yeah, want to sit. I can't imagine. Shrooms, low dose, maybe. 
Like, <laughs> on, like, on, like, some kind of rainbow family white blotter? Yeah. No way. <laughs> I, I can't he, even he, imagine. He later became a, a drug counselor. <laughs> Go figure. I, I kind of, that's who I would want. <laughs> a guy who can hold it together on acid in the middle of a stadium. Ta- yeah. Know how to talk you down from an acid trip, too. Yeah, right. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you up front in the question here. Now that you've done all this research and you've gone through all this stuff, um, in regards to UFOs and the stuff that you've researched, what is your – and I'm not going to hold you to this. I'm not going to be like, well, that's what you believe or whatever. It's just an idea probably, but where do you stand on all of this stuff, especially with all the stuff that you've researched on? Do you think that UFOs are a nuts and bolts craft? Do you think a lot of the stuff that happened was 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 just um, trickery and misinformation and stuff like that, or do you think that there's anything to some of these stories? Hmm. Um. Well, shucks, I don't know if ETs are. Uh, you know, I wouldn't rule out that ETs have uh, visited the planet, but it seems uh, pretty far fetched. Um, you know, my own experience, I was talking about LSD. I uh, <laughs> saw some UFOs on LSD back in the day, which was a pretty powerful experience. Have I told this story before? No, no. I don't think so. But if you uh, have, I'd like g- to hear it again. So go right, right. ahead. Okay. And this will give you one of my views on what I think they are. But this was back in 1979. A friend and I, a colleague and I, we were at a uh, party and dropped some uh, acid. And uh, this was some good stuff, too. Uh, the guy who gave it to us said, be careful. This has been double dipped. Okay, whatever. Right. And we uh, dropped it, and uh, things started getting pretty intense, you know. And uh, at this party, I'm say, yeah, let's get out of here, man. <laughs> go out into the uh, night and get some fresh air and clear our heads a little bit or, you know, because the walls are moving and all the people at the party are looking like cartoon characters jumping around, <laughs> <laughs> that type of thing. So anyway, we split and we're uh, walking along and we thought, let's go to the uh, ditch bank. That You know, we're in suburbia here, so that, that way we can get away from little bit away from people and whatnot and houses and um, right before we got to the ditch bank I said uh, what if we saw some UFOs right now nobody fucking believe us we both started laughing our asses off I thought that was hysterical laughing we were laughing somewhat uncontrollably and so we get on the ditch bank and about uh, 10 minutes later we saw our first UFO and I, it's made me fall to one knee, you know, it was that intense. <laughs> and uh, we saw the first war, we saw seven or eight, and I did a podcast back in the day. Uh, you can still find it uh, somewhere, Untamed Dimensions, with my buddy Joe Hook, and we recounted it. And, uh, and he'll, he stands by it uh, to this day, and so do I. And... Uh, so what we saw was first kind of the classic shaped saucer UFOs, cigar shaped UFOs, and they got they got uh, increasingly weird. There were like seven or eight different UFOs we saw. They turned into cartoonish looking things. One with a multicolored propeller. <laughs> wow. Okay. And uh, 
And so, but as we're seeing this stuff, we're talking to each other. Do you see what I see? Fucking multicolored propeller cigars. We're both, uh, you know, we're both seeing the same thing. So if we're hallucinating, it's some kind of weird dual hallucination. And so, uh, I mean, that, that, that was kind of, uh, we, you know, we saw the first one, you know, where I fell down to one knee and, uh, we went, uh, saw whatever seven or eight more and the last one we saw was like a uh, meteor that uh, was, was coming down and it stopped in midair and turned into a craft then disappeared mm. and well so we turned around and walked back the other way and when we got to the point where we saw the first ufo we saw a beam come down from the sky kind of flashed in the area where we saw the first UFO, but it wasn't emanating from anything. And then that was gone. And so that, that was our UFO uh, experiencing us. Then afterwards, uh, the weeks to follow, you know, we had a lot of conversations. First, I was like, yeah, man, we saw fucking ETs. That was righteous, whatever. And my buddy Joe was going, I don't know, man, what exactly we saw. And then uh, after a while, I wasn't sure either. He For a while, he, he started, he was thinking, yeah, maybe it was ETs. And I go, no. And I started getting exposed to other stuff. I remember at one point, I was reading some books about, uh, you know, by uh, these fringe Christian authors saying they were demons or whatever and so oh, I kind of yeah, went yeah. went down that dark rabbit hole for a while then I was got into uh, reading about mind control or whatever hey maybe we're part of some uh, military mind control operation whatever I was uh, just in entertaining every uh, theory but the one that made the most sense uh, I re- later read about John Kill wrote about it in one of his book, and he called it the super spectrum theory and how <clears throat> people uh, like uh, trance channelers and psychics, uh, they're more attuned to uh, witnessing strange phenomena, and th- that condition sometimes can be replicated by a psychic experience or, you know, However, one enters into a trance state by staring into a candle or right. a med- meditation type uh, states, and that uh, Kill explained it uh, like a, a frequency, like uh, turning it, tuning in a dial to a radio to hit a certain uh, frequency. If you can get in that state of mind, by however, some people, like I said, are already psychically tuned. Sometimes different meditations or psychedelics. But anyway, when you get into that state, you, it's a super spectrum theory where you can see through the veil or see through a window or say if you're on some UFO hotspot, you'd be able to witness this type of phenomena that, you know, maybe it's always there, but you're not always in the a certain state of mind to be able to see it. And maybe that's what, you know, people see when they witness what they think are ghosts or whatever, you know. Maybe mm-hmm. it's some energy that's always here with us. So that's, I think that was the funnest theory. So I'm roll with that one. But uh, as far as what do I think is going on with uh, UFOs or whatever, I, I don't know. <laughs> 
That's a good I, answer. I, I, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that answer. <clears throat> I just figured that since you've done all this research and all these conspiracy theories and all, because this is a pretty, like, we, we've only scratched the surface of what you cover in this book. There's, like, you've got every name involved in this thing all the way through it and the documents and everything. Like, this is, th- there's a lot of shit in here. <laughs> like, so we've, we've barely touched any of what you, what this book covers. Um, yeah, and I would have liked to put a lot of those documents in the book, but there's not, just not space, so that's why I started yeah. that, that resource page you're looking at there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the adult so papers can, and everything are on here. Just so you can point to uh, people, you know, it's kind of uh, helpful to look at the source documents to think I'm just not <laughs> – Well, plus after know, a while, they, if you're an outsider listening to this and you don't know this stuff, they're all just names. You're just throwing names out there mm-hmm. and names and this and that. And right. unless you really sit down and actually start to, like, really dig into it, it's a massive undertaking, you know. And that's part of the reason why I quit paying attention to a lot of it, because after a certain point, you're just like, this is too much, you know. It's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, at some point, it's like you're waiting for Charles Manson to somehow pop up in all this and how he's tied to UFOs <laughs> or something like that, you know. It's just everything's <laughs> interconnected, you know. Everything goes to Kentucky. Everything goes to Kentucky, <laughs> yes. So I've heard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, hey. um... One of the other great things you talk about is uh, troublemakers and the trickster archetype. So you have folks like Timothy Leary, you know, Robert Anton Wilson, Terrence McKenna, Hunter S. Thompson. Could you talk a little bit about the trickster archetype? Oh, boy. Well, the Do we archetype. have two more hours? <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> the trickster seems to be what the hell my buddy and I saw on LSD that night because it right. was uh, – it seemed like it was uh, toying with us or playing with us, uh, communicating <laughs> with us. It saw a couple of uh, teenage freaks on uh, acid and kind of mm-hmm. knew what we were. Oh, that, that was another part of the uh, experience where, you know, I said, what if we saw some UFOs, you know, no one would believe us. Yeah. It was like we, we had planted some type of a seed. And it was like uh, – Unwitting ritual magic, right? That really uh, brought about that experience. Something we both uh, yearned for, especially back in those days. That was oh, the year sure. of close encounters of the third kind, and you know, your teenage guys. Yeah, man, that's that was the dream to. Uh, oh yeah, vis- visit the stars, and so there was that uh, tricksterous element of whatever those entities uh, were, you know, not unlike, like you said, what Terrence McKenna talked about with his uh, DMT experiments. Right. And, uh, yeah, my buddy who I witnessed uh, those recently uh, started experimenting with DMT, so maybe I'll give that a go one of these days. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh... <laughs> He made, he made, he made, he made, he, he made, yeah, he made the offer and that was like pre, uh, COVID. So I haven't seen him <laughs> since then. You need to, um, tape that. You need to document their, your experiences yeah. as they happen. I, well, you're laying back with your eyes closed. You're not are. saying anything. <laughs> then yeah. after, after 15 minutes, you you're, come out of it. And it, you, you could think it's hours. Hours and hours, and Dude, you've only been there for five yeah. minutes, man. And I've only had the synthetic DMT, which tastes like burning plastic. It's kind of unpleasant, but you gotta you gotta hit it really fast because it comes on really fast. Yeah, and you wanna 
kind of get the dosage that you want to get before you, you know, have to kind of check out for a bit. Yeah, you need a co-pilot there, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I have never yeah. wanted to try any of that stuff. I'm, I'm completely content. I, I just started using, um, now that marijuana is legal in Michigan, I've, I, I can't smoke it because i got bad lungs, but I've just started using, uh, it's no secret, that I started using like gummies and stuff like that. And I did it primarily for, um, I've got arthritis in my leg and my wrist, and it, it does a really good job of knocking that down. Plus, when I had COVID, it did a fantastic job of helping me deal with that. But that's pretty much the extent of where I want to go with any of that stuff. That's it. You know, I'm not. Yeah, hey, that's uh, cool. I don't yeah. want to go out into the desert and drop acid. I don't want to take DMT. Uh, I'm fine with other people for everyone. Doing it. I've been some places, man. <laughs> that's that's yeah. not a place that I want to go with any of this stuff. So I'm I'm completely content to sit back and listen to other people's stories, which I find very fascinating. <laughs> but I always come down to: was it the drugs, or were you actually having an experience? Because I am also partial to the trickster theory, which gets me kicked out of a lot of the a lot of the communities, like the Bigfoot community and all that kind of stuff. I go in there and I'm like, well, what if this is just something that's messing with us and giving us an experience because that's where our head's at at the time. No, 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 right. this is a flesh and blood creature. And well, what about people who report seeing UFOs and Bigfoot? Well, right. they're crazy. You know, that's, that's oh, not what happened. they're crazy. I know. Yeah. So I just kind of some... sit back and go, okay, well, you guys, I'll, I'll just sit back and eat my popcorn and watch everybody. And you get the same thing in the UFO field where you go in there you and do. you got, you get the nuts and bolts people. Then you got the people that are along the lines of Cutchin and I sort of fall into that category as well. I'm not like, I, I'm not. I don't hang my hat on any one pole. It's like, well, yes, mm -hmm. UFOs could be real, but it could also be this happening at the oh, same sure. time, parallel. It could be dimensional. Yeah, there's all kinds of things that it could be, yeah. and I don't want to hang my hat on one post. And, and no. people in these communities get really irritated with me. They, they don't have a, a lot like, of a skeptic on them. Like, we well, are a skeptic, and I'm like, no, it's not that I'm a skeptic. I, I just want to get down to what's actually going on and get rid of all the garbage. You know, like what's yeah. really going on here. You know, and people get real pissed about that. So. They the communities have a hard time getting out of their own way sometimes. Yeah, they do. They do. Um, so it's like I was talking before the show. Uh, me and you, a mutual friend that's helping with a with a Bigfoot convention, and they want me to come up to it. And I'm like, I don't really know if I belong in that crowd. I'm not real sure if sure that's a pond do. that I want to go swimming in. I might show up and observe <laughs> and be the nice guy. And, hi, how are you? Yes, that's nice. Oh, that's cool. I'll buy that T-shirt. But – you know, it's because and it happens with all of these fields. It happens with all the fields of the paranormal where everybody just gets they get locked into their own certain things. And then that's it. It's like a belief system. It's like kind of like going to church. You get locked into that belief and it becomes difficult to see outside of that, which brings me back to you, Adam, whereas that's why I asked you that specifically, because you do a very good job of not getting locked into any one thing. You just kind of sit from the outside, observe and, and write and and document and put these books out, which um. Brings me to the last question of the show. Um, what do you have coming next? What's what's right. in the works for you? What are you doing now? Mm, I could tell you, but I'd have to marry you. <laughs> um, wow. Um, that's not the usual response. Or I'd have the best proposal like he's had in a year. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in between uh, stuff. Uh, uh, jinx to uh, – <laughs> Give away too much, and I'm not. I'm not really sure. I, I started something, but it looks you like you're a guy that's got a million threads out there, and you just kind of pull it whatever thread seems to be the best one at the time, and that's the one you end up writing a book about. Yeah, I yeah, I haven't decided exactly what I'm going to do next. One thing I think I'll do, and it'll be more like a uh, short ebook because I basically have all the material and I've written about it in different places. It's kind of a Shortish thing on Fred Crisman, if you know who he is. Never heard of him. 
Oh my gosh. Um, he was, <laughs> he was involved supposedly with the JFK assassination and the Maury Island UFO right, right. incident that happened a few days before the, uh, Kenneth Arnold's uh, sighting and he uh, allegedly battled with the Duros. That's one of the early uh, stories that I think uh, led to the Dulce War was Crisman claimed that he, uh, during World War II, he battled with uh, Duros, some Duros in Burma. (laughs) He's just, he's just a legendary figure in uh, conspiracy and UFO lore. There's been a couple things yeah. written about the Morley Island incident. Right, right. And so I'd kind of been researching him, and I came across some uh, different odds and ends over the years that haven't been uh, – no, nobody else has uh, published, so probably do kind of a uh, short little work on uh, – Fred Crisman here at some point. Have you thought yeah. about taking all these different characters and doing a book on, like you did with the U, with, with the uh, personalities in UFO book, you know, where you have all <laughs> these odd individuals and putting them all together into one book, like encapsulating all of these people? I really don't know if I have the energy to tackle another one of those anytime soon or if ever. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. I have, you know, there's other interests in life too, so... We'll I'm see. excited for the Chrisman book. That will be. I'd like to read that because I, I know he's connected in with the the three tramps and, and well E. Howard suppo- Hunt supposedly suppose allegedly yeah right. but uh, yeah I, I met E. Howard Hunt. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't know at the time. It was just my friend's dad, Howie. Really, and, and to this day, I'm just like Howie. He goes by Howie. I was going to say that. Who calls themselves Howie? Right. And it's and, – and yeah, it, it was – he just said, you know, hey, we have to – we're going to go over there. You should meet him. Really nice guy. He's like, he gets weird. Don't bring up JFK. <laughs> oh, is like, this well, his son who wrote the book on his dad? Hmm? Uh, his son who wrote the book about his dad? Oh yeah, yeah. No, this was my uh, my friend's dad that I we were living in oh, his okay. guest house down. And we were down there, and somehow they had met and created a friendship because he his my friend's dad lived on Big Pine. I can't remember where uh, quote unquote Howie's house was, but <laughs> there was just no, there was nothing weird. Went over there, nothing like that came up, and it wasn't until a couple years later watching some documentary that I'm like, oh wait a minute, that's that's the Howie guy. And then oh, he was yeah. able to ask his dad, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, it's E. Howard Hunt." <laughs> just like it's nothing, you know. <laughs> well, it wasn't to him; it was just it Howie. wasn't, yeah. Or at least he knew enough to just just, just pretend it's nothing. <laughs> just, just lovable Howie. Just lovely, lovable. You know, don't look at his ears, Howie. Don't look at his ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they call him Strawberry. He's got a scar on his face. Don't yeah, call don't him look, that. Don't look at the scar. Sensitive about his ears. <laughs> Thanks for coming on here. Thanks for talking about this. Yeah, Thanks thank for you. the story of you tripping on an acid and seeing UFOs. I love hearing that kind of stuff. That was a great story. Where can people find you? Where can they find your book? And, you know, give us the spiel and whatever you want to put out there. Uh, well, the book uh, published by Daily Grill Publishing. So go check out their website. But you can get it on Amazon 
then yeah, they got that uh, Saucers, Spooks, and Kooks resource page. Be sure to check that out. At, uh, well, if you search for uh, Chasing UFOs, go rightly, you'll find that. So yeah, that's uh, basically it. Thanks for coming on here, man. It's always a blast talking to you. It's it's always I could just sit and pick your brain for hours just about this, <laughs> the stuff you've researched and done on your own, and without even talking about a book, just just your experiences. So it's always a riot to talk to you. Every time you have something new coming out, I'm like like instantly on Twitter, like, hey, Adam, Adam, what's up? Hey, hey, what's up, my man? Um, listen, uh, you know, let's let's make this happen. So <laughs> thanks cool. again for coming back, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Want to see ghosts in your own home, learn how to speak to the dead, or go on a sightseeing tour of hell? At Curious Publications, we take wonderfully odd public domain books lost to obscurity and give them new life. Shop CuriousPublications.com Not all vampires sparkle. Underwood and Flinch is a vampire novel by Mike Bennett. Get it now for free from iTunes, MikeBennettAuthor.com, UnderwoodandFlinch.com and PodioBooks.com or source it using the LibriVox app, amongst others. Underwood and Flinch by Mike Bennett. Putting the blood back in vampire fiction. So, Adam Go Rightly, um, he's just like this big esoteric hippie, I swear. Like... Who else is going to come on the show and tell a story about getting high on acid and seeing UFOs out in the desert or whatever, you know? I'm just like, mad that I have never once seen a UFO while on acid. So I've seen little... UFOs not on acid, and no, you don't want to. No, <laughs> I mean, maybe you want... do, but hey. Um, Why won't they just come take me home? No, God, no. It's, oh, I tell people oh, people all the time, like, I, I want to have... I want to have one of these experiences. I want to, I want to see a UFO. I want to see a ghost come out of the ground or, or whatever. And I'm like, are you sure you want to do that? Because right. once careful you, what you ask for. Yeah. Cause well, then again, there's some people like, like Ben, I had on last week, Ben Radford, you know, like the people in the skeptical community that I think if, if, if somebody like Ben Radford, if a UFO were to fly over him, pick up his car set it down in the middle of the desert somewhere and he would he would he would somehow or another try to rationalize it away or at the very best he would just say i don't know what happens i don't know what happened to me because there's two kinds of people you know you have the well three kinds you have one the kind of person that is like there's got to be more to this than this yeah more to life pretty much anything is like wow okay yeah i can wrap my head around that yeah and then there's other people that live in this little world and look, that's all there is. And I have a buddy like that too. And he's yeah. like, I don't believe in anything and any of that crap. You and know? I kind of look at him and I go, man, ignorance is bliss. You know, I know right? I kinda, I'm like, I, I just kind of want to look at him like my, 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 my daughter-in-law's husband's that way. And I, you know, he kind of yeah. looks at me like you're a little nutty for believing in this stuff. And it's like, well, you haven't had the experiences that I have had, but he doesn't fault me for it. But at the same yeah. time, he's like, yeah, I just don't believe any of this stuff. And I just kind of look at him like, you're adorable, man. I, I mm-hmm. wish, you're I wish I could be a young that- soul. <laughs> yeah, because it's just like, you know, I've often said before that there, I just think that there's certain people that just cannot have it's it's I think Adam alluded something to it on the show, but people that just certain people just cannot see beyond what's yeah. in front of them. They just no, can't. And it's just, I call it colorblind, for yeah. lack of a better term. Um, Their worldview is so set that it, even if they did see it, yeah. know what it is and acknowledge it, they, they'd lose it. They'd lose their minds. That's kind of like. Like when I and I've said it before, like when I saw the UFO that was 
like hovering over me, going down right. the road really slow, you know, whatever the hell it was. I was just like, that's got to be a plane. It's got to be a blimp. It's got my mind's going through. Don't go to UFO spacecraft. What is this? Right. What is this trying to go through? And then it disappeared, reappeared someplace else, and reappeared someplace else again. And I'm like, nah, okay, that's it. I can't take this any further. That's as far as I can go with this. Yeah. And if unless you know, if the government has crafts that can do that kind of stuff, because everybody goes, oh, it was a drone. I'm like, no, this wasn't a drone. Well, drones are silent now, and blah blah. blah. It can be really big. And I'm like, drones right. don't disappear and then reappear going in another no. direction. No. So. Your brain, and, and and then, and I'm somebody who has a show that covers this stuff. I talk about yeah. this stuff all the time. So a, I was like, I can't tell anybody about this because if it were me, I would be like, yeah, you you host a show that talks about paranormal topics on occasion, and you just happen to see a UFO, right? That would have been my response to myself if I'd have told myself that. Right. And at the same time, it was like I did try to get a picture. It was a little white dot in the middle of a black screen, and I'm thinking I can't show this to anybody. Look, here's a UFO. Yeah, dude, it's a black dot. It's a white dot. <laughs> well, this is a UFO. I said, yeah, whatever. It's blob like, squatch. Well, yeah, I'm like can't use that. So, you know, and there was this period of time where my brain just went through this crazy like, what the fuck was that? I mean, I went back to that site. Well, I drove past it every night, but I would go there in the daytime and try to figure out how high was this in the air? Where was it? You know, I kept going back, and I almost became obsessed with it until eventually I just got to a point where I'm like, I'm never going to know what this is. And nothing happened to me. I wasn't abducted. I wasn't. I didn't have a knowledge download. I just saw something, and that was it. And, you know, it's like, so, so but it, it does tweak you. It tweaks your, your whole concept of, like, well, is this true? Is that true? Because I saw this, so if I saw this, does that mean that that is true? You know, you start going down these weird rabbit holes. Of, of what you're dealing with. And then it's like, well, did I actually see something? Is this something just projecting something up there and trying to screw with my consciousness? Right. Um, what's going on here? You know? So it's, it's a weird, it's, it's a weird thing to go down, you know? And some people just oh, yeah. can't see this stuff. So, you know? Yeah. So when somebody says, yeah, I want to have an experience, I'm like, no, you don't, because it's going to force you to question certain things that you've held dear to your, to you for, as, as part of your ego or part, that part of what you are. So when something happens and you question it, it's really jarring. It's it better to not believe yeah. in anything. People, I want to get into paranormal. I'm like, don't. Don't get involved in this. Yeah, You're not going to find any answers. If you have to go get into it, don't. Exactly. <laughs> because it, otherwise it's going to find you if it wants you there. That's like like when I that's what I was saying like in the last show I was on. I'm not I don't fit well at these conventions and these meetings and these groups and stuff and these shows because I walk in there and there's a lot of just like I went to one a couple of years ago. It was a it was a craft show. It was a combination paranormal craft show. So half I'm serious. It was. I've talked about it before. It was me and um, Eric Wojciechowski, the guy was on the show. We went to this, and there was a woman there trying to sell me spiritual pot holders. And <laughs> yeah, if you use these, pot. they will increase your vibrations when you're baking with them. And I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, I'm just like God. sitting there listening to her, going, okay, come on, tell me your spiel. He's and there was another guy. There was a guy there that had like uh, all of these DVDs and stuff about how the Nazis had made a deal with Satan, and that's why we're seeing UFOs now. And <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah. And I can't, I just can't go to these shows and look at this stuff. I can't, no, you know, no. paranormal, Bigfoot, all of these groups—they're all locked into these really crazy things. And it's like, whoa, step back for a second and really think about what you're saying here for a second. Really, I mean, you know, like, are, are you really? Do you really believe this, or yeah? You know? Oh dear. And if you try to come up with a different explanation, just to say, clear your mind and try to, you know, just maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's all of the above. Everybody in all of these groups is like, no, it's this it, UFOs. Yeah. It's nuts and bolts. These are extraterrestrial creatures. How, how you are you going to be a paranormal investigator, but you have a narrow vision of what everything is and can be? Yeah. 
it, it, that's how it, it's, it's a belief system. Once you get, that's when people ask me, what do you believe? I'm like, I don't know what I believe. And I don't, I don't think saying what, like when Adam said, I don't know, I'm like, that's a fine answer. It's okay to say, I don't know. Oh, but exactly. When you get, when you fall, whatever your field of paranormal, Bigfoot, UFOs, poltergeist, ghost, um, whatever, even, even magic, you know, it's in my opinion, becoming, it's, it's like they said in dogma, it's okay to have an idea, but once you have a belief, then you become latched onto that belief and you espouse to everything that that is. That's why when people say, are you a Republican or a Democrat? I'm like, I'm not anything. I'm not yeah, either. Yeah, I don't care then, for either of them. When you say that, these people that are locked into their beliefs, they're like, you're the, you're the enemy. You know, the oh, skeptical yeah. community yeah, sees me as a believer and the- That's only going to get worse. The, the other community believes, sees me as a skeptic. So I don't really fit yeah. anywhere in all of this. So I've reached a point now, not to sound arrogant, but when somebody says, hey, I want you to come out this UFO show I'm putting on, I'm like, I don't know if I want to be there with, yeah. I'll, I'll go, sure, I'll go, yeah. And then I'm, I'm kind of just sitting there going, really? I, I think you and I are at the same places that we're looking for a new fringe. You know, we have know. shows that talk about the fringe, and we've talked about the fringe, and we've listened to the fringe for like 30 years. What's new? What's next? Show me something new. Give me the new stick That's guy. That's the thing. Like, I'm getting out of all this because it's never evolving anywhere. That's one of the things uh, we're talking is. about with Adam tonight. Like, the only thing new with UFOs, I mean, for a while you had the whole Tom DeLonge thing. You had the yeah. uh, To the Stars thing. And then you have these videos that get dropped from airplanes that show grainy photos of something flying, the one, the Go Fast video. But ultimately, oh, yeah, which were released by Mellon. Mm-hmm. None of this stuff is going anywhere. None of this yeah. stuff ultimately ever, like, that's why the disclosure crowd, I, I just got, like, for, for a while I had my moment where I was really into it. And then yeah. after a certain point, you just go, this is bullshit. Yeah. And to it blows end? me away. To what end to is what, any of it? Well, you know, well I, it's I kind of it becomes its own what? thing. You know, to like what people end want to are the, Yeah, to what end are the aliens? All right, they're coming. All right, to what end? And if they're not coming, to what end? And like at this know, point, everything. Like after what happened the last four years and with COVID and everything, it's like, all right, come on, let's go. Let's let's yeah. let's, let's let's have a change. Let's see what you can do. Mm, come on, right? You know, I want. If there's never, if there's ever a better time for it to happen, it's now. What's it's, it's like? Now. Jesus is coming. Okay, when? <laughs> so what? What if? What? What if? There really wasn't COVID. There was just knowing that the aliens are coming and they carry a certain virus that we'd probably get like we would take anywhere. So they need to inoculate as many of us as we can. So, uh, so we don't get we space won't AIDS. Die when they, yeah, space AIDS. The syphilis. It's a bad joke. We have, yeah, space yeah. syphilis. That's what it, uh, we'll use the term syphilis. space syphilis. That sounds that better. That sounds better. Yeah. You got the space syph. Space syph. How did you get the space sif? Oh, my ex-girlfriend. She was a shape-changing okay. reptilian. I mean, she was <laughs> yeah, great. Now I've got man, intergalactic herpes. Now I've got intergalactic herpes, and it, it's okay. bad. You know, it's whatever bad. happened to her? Oh, she she ended up going off with some other guy and ate him. You know, but you know, know. <laughs> as so, it does. You know, it's it's crazy. You know, so so yeah. you got the space herp, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. crazy. So she was she was a reptilian. Oh yeah, I came in the room one night and she was in the middle of shape changing, and I said, no, no, stay that way. And you know we, we <laughs> no, we don't take them right off. Yeah, like, don't take, no, don't no. <laughs> leave, the, leave the reptilian skin on. Let's do this. So you That's banged right. a Gorn? A what? Anyways, what? yeah, you, you, you never jerked off the V. Come on, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, anyways, I guess let, let's call it good because we're rambling yes. on here and everything. Thank you we for coming rambling. on here. And uh, oh, thank you for having me. It's always fun to have you on here, sober and straight. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> the last episode, we were all pretty buzzed. <laughs> we were, yeah, we were out there. Um, yeah, talk to me. As, as always, tell people where they can find your show, You know what you cover, 
you know, all that stuff. You got a new episode out or something like that? Because you did bring up tonight the, uh, briefly, you brought up the, um, the whole thing about Penny Royal and you just had, uh, you just had him on your show. Yeah, I uh, stole another guest from you. It's Bizarro Aficionado, and it can be found pretty much wherever you find podcasts. You know, it's on Apple. You and were going to say quality, or, weren't you? You were going to uh, say quality, yeah, and then you changed you your mind. <laughs> wherever you find quality podcasts. My show and your show is the wish equivalent to podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> that is a great description. We oh, are, oh, we are wishes and podcasting. Yeah, but no, I had uh, Nathan Isaac on. Is uh, one of the hosts of uh, Penny Royal podcast, and if you've never heard of Penny Royal, then uh, maybe you've seen Hellier on Prime right now. You can see that for free. But uh, I, I like to say that uh, Nathan is the intellectual version of Hellier. I'm going to get crap. Sorry, Greg. Sorry, but but yeah, he just he wasn't kind of going in the whole paranormal direction as much as like an investigative journalist sort of direction to it and uh they they all kind of wound up in the same place doing the same kind of thing it so was i'm not weird gonna he approached me about coming onto my show oh cool. and i was like sir are you in the right place do you understand <laughs> you know and he's like no no i listen to your show i know who you are i'm a big fan and stuff and he, the he's fuck like, out. yeah and he actually came to me and i was like all right what well, do you understand the kind of interview i'm going to give you though right it's not going to be cookie cutter and he's like no no this is exactly what i want to yeah. do and it was a great fun show it was so, a good show you know i was like all right you know let's 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 do this then you know and it worked out pretty well so yeah, yeah. um yeah go over and listen to bizarro aficionado you know it's you i'm still proud of you i'm still because you were on here long You're before you started podcasting dad. Yeah, I try. Like a drag mom, but, you know, more <laughs> oh, audio. God. <laughs> God. All right, I'm done. This is Rojan. Peace out from Detroit. Gary, say whatever you want. Yeah, stay uh, bizarro, everyone, and uh, come over and listen to Bizarro Aficionado and, and leave a comment, for God's sake. I have the quietest fans. Oh, I do, too. Well, then again, I haven't ran my promo for the show phone number or anything in a little while, but, right. you know, even email projectarchivist at gmail.com. And I'm so, the problem is I think it's because I'm so accessible, like on Facebook and Twitter, right. like the show page, like somebody joins up the Project Archivist page. If they message me or leave me a message on the page, I'll interact with pretty much anybody who wants to talk to me as long as they're not a dick. I had so, downloads you know. from Kazakhstan. I don't even I know. know where Kazakhstan I, is. It's it's like over it's, there somewhere. Yeah, it's like one of those Russian federations. It's like yeah. you are number four podcast in all of Kazakhstan. Or something like that. So. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. All right, Great peace, success. folks. We're out. <laughs> Thanks, everybody.
Ma, 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 ma,